Let's take our Bibles this morning, if you would, turn in them to the book of Acts. And I am honored to be here this morning to get to preach to you for a few minutes and a little bit about myself. Um, as Pastor mentioned, I've, there, I've been there at our church for eight years, and uh, before that, two years in Texas. And uh, I did get to attend my uh, first year of school here at, a, at a Falls Baptist Academy in kindergarten and went to here for about, I think, five, six years till fifth grade. I, I was out one year in first grade, but second through fifth grade, I came here and was homeschooled for a number of years, came for a semester to BCM. So I was a student here and uh, I'm completely um, humbled and uh, a bit nervous to get to speak to you guys this morning. I don't preach in chapel a lot and this is my first time at BCM. So I appreciate you um, listening this morning, and, and if you would, pray for me as I preach to you. And uh, let's read, if you would, let's go to Acts chapter 8. And uh, we'll probably come back to a few other passages, but Acts chapter 8, and uh, we'll read verse 8 just to give us a text for this morning. I'll probably be uh, all over the place. Hopefully stay in the book of Acts, but Acts 8, verse 8, if you would. Let's um, stand for the reading of God's word, if you don't mind doing that here. If you want to read out loud with me, that would be, that'd be fine. Let's read together, verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. I pray that you would help us as we uh, seek to uh, listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. And uh, we want to hear what you want us to hear today. Father, I pray that you would speak in our, in our midst. Help those that need encouragement. I pray for those that need some correction. I pray for each and every one of us that we would submit to whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is telling us. And I pray for your, your conviction today. Thank you for this church. I thank you for this college and what it means to me. And Lord, we thank you for... Pastor Van Geldren, the faculty here, and each and every student. Lord, I'm not uh, able to know each and every name. Uh, Lord, I I wish I did. I wish I could uh, know each and every care and burden that's here today. But Lord, we we know you do, and you're in their heart. uh, You created them. You love them. You have a purpose for them. And Father, I pray that you would do a work today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated this morning. I must apologize. I've, I was sick on Sunday, and I've never been quite that sick uh, in the ministry where I couldn't go to church, and uh, I wasn't able to preach, and sometimes God does it. I believe I was actually providentially hindered because although I, had the, I, I felt I had a message from the Lord, um, I believe the Lord was taking things another direction. And so Brother Ben Sikma and his wife, they attend our church, and Ben, I, I, I called on Ben at 3 in the morning. I said, Ben... Can you preach for me today? I'm not well. I've got a 102 degree temperature. And uh, he said, absolutely. And, and, uh, and the Lord worked. And so I'm so thankful for God sometimes providentially hindering us, stopping us from doing something. Um, and it might even be the right thing, but God says we're going to go in a different direction. So I'm, I'm kind of getting over my sickness today, and my right ear is plugged up, so that's throwing me off a little bit. I talked to Pastor about it. He said he's preached with both ears uh, plugged up before, so I said, oh, great. So I, I, I have to go on. I have to go on. I'm not being providentially hindered completely today. So, um, and I 
I did have another message prepared. Um, I was working on it Sunday and, and uh, Monday, and it was out of James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And uh, if I ever get the opportunity to come back, maybe I'll preach that one, or maybe that's for somebody else. I'm not sure. But yesterday, God, God directed me here to Acts chapter 8. And uh, the lapel that I have here says, Joy in Our City. That's our theme this year at our church. And um, I feel that this is, this is an appropriate passage, and God wants us to look at this today. Um, after uh, Jesus arose from the grave, he commissioned the apostles to go and preach the gospel. You find that five times in the New Testament. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, Jesus tells them to go to, you could probably say this with me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. How many of you uh, are a missionary, or you maybe grew up on the mission field? Let's start with that. If you grew up on the mission field, raise your hand. It's wonderful. I talked to Brother uh, John Austin this morning. Uh, he spent several years in Mexico. How many of you are called to the mission field? Do you feel that God is directing you to go and uh, reach, uh, go to another nation other than where we live now? God's calling you somewhere else. That's wonderful. Um, but I want to just say right now, how many of you uh, or let me ask you this question. How many of you are missionaries right where you're at? So you could all raise your hand. We all should raise our hand, right? We're a missionary right here in our Jerusalem. And for you, this actually might be the uttermost part of the world because you're from somewhere else and you're coming here to college. And so this is uh, a mission field in that sense. But for all of us, this Jerusalem or wherever you're at is our mission field. Uh, the book of Acts is divided in several ways, but of chapters 1 through 7 deals primarily with the church in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 deals with the church in Judea and Samaria. By the way, Samaria was a region, but it was also represent, representing a, a people group that was different uh, than uh, uh, who the Jews were. A race, if you would, that is not like our race. A people that are not like our people. So God called us not just to go to different places, but to go to different people groups as well. And sometimes those people groups are right here in our city. Um, when Jesus ascends back to heaven, uh, after he dies, he rose from the grave. He uh, commissions the disciples, the apostles. He goes back to heaven, and he promises to return. We know that the church has 120 members, and they're meeting in the upper room. Uh, for 10 days, they meet there. Uh, some would say that the church started uh, with Christ and stayed in embryonic form until the day of Pentecost. And that's when the church took its first breath of air. We know that, uh, uh, that the Holy Ghost indwells the church. Peter gets up to preach at Pentecost, and 3,000 souls are saved and baptized and added to the church in one day. And this was the first mega church. And I'm saying that for a reason, because uh, there's a word in the Greek New Testament. Your uh, New Testament says uh, the, the word uh, great. It's the word megos in the Greek. And it's 240 times in the New Testament. And God is doing mega things in the church of Jerusalem. Go with me to chapter 4, if you would. We'll go back, Acts 4. And I'm praying that God unplugs that ear today. And it's kind of throwing me off a little bit, but we'll be okay. God, God is good. Uh, Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed... Uh, if, you, if, you, if you go with me, Acts, or just think with me for a second. Stay here in chapter 4. Acts 2, 
3,000 are saved. Acts 3, 2,000 are saved. Acts 4, we see another 5,000 saved. Verse 31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, this filling, I believe, was for the bold proclamation of the word. They spake the word of God with boldness. Verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which they had possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Word mega, we see it megas three or two times in verse thirty-three. And with mega power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and mega grace was upon them all. See, uh, there was great things, mega things going on in this early church. Uh, Acts five, if you would, uh, we read about Ananias and Sapphira in verse eleven. We know that, uh, uh, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Ghost. Verse 11, uh, the Bible says that great fear, mega fear came upon the church and upon his man has heard these things. We know that God is doing great things in, uh, with, with boldness. They have great boldness. They have great grace. But also there's also great fear of God in the church. Uh, God, uh, God is, is very much interested in a pure church. He wants to deal with the problems. And many times... Uh, he uh, brings great conviction and he does great things and, and uh, to bring fear into that church to, uh, to cause us, my friend, to look to God and to, uh, and to have a reverence and a, a fear of him. So the church grows uh, through the book of Acts. Uh, many of the Jewish priests had even joined the church and this uh, disturbs the Sanhedrin. The Jews bring Stephen up for trial. We know in chapter 7 that Stephen preaches his last sermon because his audience stones him. I hope that doesn't happen today. Um, uh, but uh, Acts 8.1, we'll get to our text here, okay? Uh, just want to give you uh, the uh, context of what we're talking about. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Consenting describes Saul's attitude. The Greek word means to approve or to be pleased with. Saul took pleasure in Stephen's death. Saul took pleasure in attacking Christians. He made havoc of the church, we see. Um, later, he came to regret that, of course. In 1 Corinthians 5, uh, he wrote, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Paul regretted what he did, but uh, uh, nonetheless, the Bible says that he was consenting unto his death, verse 1. And at that time, there was a great or a mega persecution. So not, not only was there great boldness, there was great grace, there was great fear in the church. But now, that we, now we see in verse 1, because of the persecution that had been going on, and now with great zeal, Paul persecuting the church, there's great Fear and great persecution uh, amongst the, the in the lives of the Christians. There's great persecution uh, in the church. And look at it, verse one, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
Uh, the persecution drove the church from its comfort zone. It caused these believers uh, who were meeting house to house and seeing wonderful things happen in their midst. The church was growing, but now God allowed persecution in so that they would scatter and that they would leave Jerusalem. In chapter 8, now they're going to Samaria and Judea. There was uh, great persecution. And uh, verse number 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. See? Great persecution, great sorrow in the church here. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into, the, uh, and into every house, and uh, hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, Preaching the word. Isn't that wonderful? That uh, although persecution came, they may be left where they were at, but they didn't stop what they were doing. God scattered them, but they continued preaching the word everywhere they went. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. You understand? They were going, these Jews were going from Jerusalem. Uh, down to a place that they didn't frequent, a place that they wouldn't go because of their, uh, because of their prejudice and because of their uh, even hatred towards the Samaritans. And yet Philip, he goes down there and he preaches Christ unto them. That's compassion. He preaches the gospel there, and uh, multitudes get saved. Verse 6, and the people with one accord gave heed unto those things. I think it's interesting if you study the book of Acts, how the Jews, uh, many believe, but then, uh, then, then some reject, but then they take the message and the Gentiles, uh, multitudes are getting saved. And the Bible says with one accord, they gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And then we see again, verse 8, and there was great, or megas, joy in that city. I want to give you an outline, since you're supposed to have an outline when you preach, right? Yeah, I think that's good. And I don't always use outlines. I've been getting more into the habit of doing that again. When I first started preaching, you always had an outline, right? Three points and a poem, right? Is that how it's supposed to be? I don't know if that's the rules. Um, unfortunately, I didn't take homiletics. Uh, they didn't, uh, I didn't care for the teacher that we had. And, and maybe that's, that's a bad, uh, I'm being a bad example here. But uh, we just had, had a bad, <laughs> at my school that I went to, we just, it was, it was a few rough years there. And uh, so... Um, I skipped out and I took a home ec class, but um, I said, God, 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 you will, you will uh, intervene when that time comes. And I think that, uh, just trust the Lord on that. But, um, so that's why I'm not sure, you know, three, three poems and a point and, uh, or three points and a poem, whatever you want. All right. So here's an illustration, or I'm sorry, an outline, if you would, 
I think I know the difference between an illustration and an outline. I'm not sure yet. But um, outline, and this comes from Charles Spurgeon. I actually kind of reworked it a little bit. But this is about that mega joy that we find here in chapter 8, verse 8. It was joy, number one, it was a joy occasioned by one man's preaching. So Philip, he, he goes, he preaches in Samaria, number one. Number two, it was a joy which had abundant cause. And number three, and I'm sorry I don't really have a poem today, so just giving you a forewarning on that. Number three, it was a joy born of a great sorrow. I want you to know something subtle in verse eight. If you would look at it again. There was great joy in, and I'll emphasize it, that city. There was great joy in that city. While there was great joy, or I'm sorrow, I should say, while there was great sorrow and persecution and um, difficulty and homes being torn apart, church being torn apart in Jerusalem, while there was great persecution there, it gave way to mega joy in Samaria. Although I don't enjoy persecution, it is good for the church. Tertullian, an early church author, stated, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. God wasn't done in Jerusalem But some discomfort and and some sorrow made those early believers move out and look upon the needs of other people in other cities. Um, I think about uh, in the bird kingdom, if you would, uh, the mother bird, she takes a lot of time to uh, build that nest. And uh, she, she goes and she gathers twigs. And in the city, there's all kinds of other stuff out there that they put in that nest and garbage, trash. And uh, uh, if you find a bird's nest, you'll probably find just about everything in there, cigarettes and all, whatever else they can find, you know, just junk. But what you also see in that nest is many times the mother it's uh, getting prepared baby birds that are about to be hatched. And as those little babies grow, as the mother bird takes time uh, to go and gather food and bring it back to the baby birds, as the baby birds grow and they get old enough and big enough and strong enough to fly, uh, the mother bird then begins to take the nest and make the nest a bit uncomfortable. She rearranges the twigs and she gets the nest to where those baby birds really don't want to be there uh, because it's not comfortable. It's not easy to be in that nest anymore. And, uh, and uh, with, uh, with not so much as a, I love you and have a great day, she kicks the baby bird out of the nest and uh, hopefully they can fly. God was stirring up the nest in Jerusalem and the church was going through some growing pains. One of the difficult stages of maturing is the weaning. A child being weaned is sure that his mother no longer loves him, but that everything, and that everything is against him. But weaning is a step towards liberty and maturity. It is good for the child to, uh, to go. And sometimes God has to wean his children away from all of our childish toys and our immature attitudes. And our human nature wants to be comforted. We want uh, things to be easy. We want Ronald Reagan to be president again, you know. And um, I had somebody in my church recently say, uh, after the 2020 election, uh, uh, he said, do you think 
God could ever send revival to America if Donald Trump's not president. And I said, well, I, I get what you're saying. This is now as a young Christian. I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. But I think that there's more possibility for God to send revival now that he's not president. Because many times we just want things to be comfortable and easy. And I get that. We should pray for, pray for our leaders and pray for peace. We, we know that truly... There will never be peace on the earth until the Prince of Peace is ruling and reigning. But what I'm saying is we should pray for, pray for our leaders and pray for peace and do what we can to stop the tide of evil in our world. But, my friend, that many times does not happen in the church. The church does not get thirsty and hungry for God to work until the church is put under pressure. And it is the same way in our individual lives. We have to go through the crucible. We have to go through hard times. We have to go through difficulty. We have to go through loss in our life. We have to go through, uh, through sorrow. We have to go through uh, uh, hurts and broken relationships, even people leaving us and hurting us. And even in the pastorate, it's not easy, my friend, when people turn their back on you and leave. Um, it, it's hard. But, you know, God uses all of those things. I think of 1 Corinthians Go with me if we have time. First, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Sometimes God lets us become uncomfortable so that we look to him for help. He Sometimes God lets us become uncomfortable so that we move out and begin to see the needs of other people. Philippians 2, 4, I'll read this for you as you turn there. 2 Corinthians 1 is where, where we're going to be at. But Philippians 2, verse 4, you know this verse. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's found in the passage where Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus didn't look at himself first. He put the needs of you and me before he put his needs. He put us first. He chose you first. And so Paul's saying, do the same thing. Look to others. And God lets us uh, go through hardships so that we can uh, look at others, but also we can be equipped to help other people. Second Corinthians 1 verse 1 uh, or verse 2, grace be unto you and peace from the Lord, uh, from the God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, either, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, look at it, mercies, and the God of all comfort. Praise God, he comforts us in our hardships. Verse 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort therewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I've had people in our church in the last two years, you've, you've had difficulty. Some of you have probably lost family members through COVID. But we had a, uh, a man in our church die from COVID. Had to preach that funeral. Man been in our church since day one, 30, 36 years, 35 years at that time. Um, we had a family that, uh, not related to COVID, but during that time, uh, had a baby born. They didn't have an ultrasound. They didn't know what the uh, situation was, but the baby was born uh, with, uh, I think it was trisomy 13 is what they call it. 
and uh, was, you know, passed away within just 30, 30 some hours. That's difficult going to the hospital with a husband and wife in your church that are faithful members, that are uh, crucial, that you rely on, you depend on. And here they are with just a a little baby that they know is not going to live. What do you do? I really didn't know what to do in that moment. I just prayed with them. But I'm telling you right now, that family is equipped to help somebody else. God has done some equipping in your life as well. God's given you something very specific. Uh, He's allowed you to go through difficulty. Now, don't short-circuit God's work in your life. Allow Him to work. Submit to Him. We'll get to that in James 1, maybe some other time. But uh, where God says, um, where James says that uh, that let let, um, patience have its perfect work. The trying of our faith worketh patience. God has something for you to do. Let him do it. Don't short circuit his work. Don't uh, rush it. Don't uh, try to get past it. Allow God to work. Allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. Receive the grace of God for your trial, for your difficult situation. Just say, God, help me through this. Help me to get through this. And I believe that God will direct people to your path. I'm so thankful for the church. I'm thankful for pastors. I'm thankful for those in the church that have gone through things that can come help. But God will help you through that. He'll, he'll send his spirit. He'll send people. But when you get through that trial, when you get through that dark time, go and help someone else. Sometimes God lets us become uncomfortable so that we can move out and begin to see the needs of other people. I like what someone said, Lord, I'm willing to receive what you give, to lack what you withhold, to relinquish what you take, to suffer what you inflict, to be what you require. Now, they may have been experiencing Sorrow there in Jerusalem, but I can imagine as the reports came back of the churches being birthed and the Christians being added and people getting saved, uh, the local churches growing, that there was again joy in Jerusalem. Sorrow and joy many times are together. It's it's, uh, not uncommon for that to be so. And my friend, as you grow in the grace of God, God brings you through the trial, brings you through the difficult time. There will be joy again. He will restore to you all of those things that you say, oh, I'm never going to, I'm never going to, um, you know, be able to get through this. I'm never going to be able to focus on anything else. This is the only thing that, uh, you know, that I, I've, I can, um, Think about right now, no, my friend, God will help you through. God will take you past that. 